Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to How To Money, a financial education podcast for young Australians aimed at opening up the conversation around money. In each episode, your host, Kate Campbell, brings in a variety of guests to explore everything from buying shares to starting your own business, all with the aim of kickstarting your personal finance journey. Just a quick reminder that everything we cover in this podcast is for financial education purposes only, and we are not giving you any advice. If you do want advice, please seek the help of a qualified and competent professional and do some research. Remember, it's your money, so take control. Hi, Jason. Thank you so much for coming on the How To Money podcast today. Okay, glad to be on. Yeah, well, welcome to your very first uh, podcast debut. So it's great to have you here. Thanks. Well, before we dive in too much, I'd love to hear a little bit about what you do in your day-to-day role and a little bit about Spaceship as well, if people haven't heard of it before. I'm a portfolio manager at Spaceship, been there for nearly four years now, and we have a similar vintage. We started in 2017, so <laughs> uh, good year, good year that one. And um, we have two products, superannuation and a savings and investment product. And uh, within super, we have two funds, and then in the savings and investment product that we call Voyager, we have three funds. And so the main fund I think we're probably going to touch on today is the more active one that we manage called Universe. And that has a what we call a where the world is going process. And probably an early shameless plug, but the best way to understand Spaceship is just to look at the app and we're very transparent on the portfolios and what stocks are in there. So you can choose your own journey because we have like an ESG option. We have a more passive index-like option uh, as well. Yeah. And it's only, it's a dollar to get started or is it $5 or? Yeah. The uh, minimum is very low. So if you want to put in a dollar, uh, you can get started. And yeah, it's important to build that habit and to get started, make it easy and just feel free to have a look. Mm, and yeah, Spaceship's one of the many tools that's been around for the last few years to actually help young people get into the investment market without having to make too many decisions on which individual company to buy, which has been a great, I mean, I've had so many conversations with people that have started using maybe Spaceship or Raise to get started and get that foot in the door. Yeah, awesome. So to kick off the conversation, I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you ended up being a portfolio manager. How did you get into the world of finance and what sort of your day-to-day look like? Yeah, okay. Um, so I started out as an accountant and I have glasses to show for that. And <laughs> then like many, I, I got involved in Australian equities, then global equities. But my first recollection of the stock market was during high school. And it was when I was going through the real world experience of having a first job. So I think I was very open to, to wealth creation after working 
for a couple of dollars per hour at Hungry Jack's. And um, at the time, it was an IPO of Billabong. I knew a little bit about that area because I enjoy surfing. And I just thought, what? You can buy a business that's on the stock exchange that you know it's going to grow in America and all these other places. I just thought, wow, what a great concept. And so, yeah, that coincidence of having my first job and hearing about Billabong just got me on this path of being very curious about stock market and business because there's not too many ways you can really build your wealth, right? Like you can buy property, which takes a lot of money. You can start your own business, which again, is difficult. But with the stock market, uh, you can get started with very small amounts and get exposure to some really great businesses and management teams in place. And you can build and, and grow along with them, which I think is, is, is fantastic. Mm. And what, what about being a portfolio manager? What's the day-to-day look like? Are you just looking at charts all day or you're just researching or how does it work? Yeah, it's a lot of reading and I think learning and investing go hand in hand. So a lot of my time spent is learning about these businesses, assessing them on some of the metrics I'll go in later. But every day is quite different. That's what I enjoy about about investing. You're always learning and trying to find some great new investment, some like hidden gem that no one's found. And so that sort of hunting shopping aspect I think is is appealing to me my personality yeah the, I, I do think the research part's quite fun because you just get to learn about all the innovation and the really cool companies in the world which you might not have come across otherwise yeah and there's a lot there's so much happening overseas in the US in particular and I think the key thing for Australian investors is to just think more about the global opportunity because Australia's still only two percent of of the world's economy and and share markets is just a, there's a big pond out there and there's a lot 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 to look at. Yeah, I, I do think we get a little bit sort of focused on our own home country and we we forget there's a big wide world out there of companies to invest in. So it's good to chat to someone that's actually looking at those companies as well. Yeah, for me, a highlight is speaking to management teams and so people who have founded a business and they're just so passionate about the problems they're solving and what they're trying to do and. It's inspiring. It, it can get inspiring. And so you've got to be detached a bit and step back. But yeah, I love the stories of meeting some of these founders and, and what they're trying to do. It's very inspiring. Yeah, awesome. So if we, we step back and look from a bit of a higher level, what are some of the biggest trends you're seeing in the world of investing at the moment that sort of young people should be aware of? Yeah, I think there's been a perfect storm in the last year. We've seen micro-investing apps like ourselves at Spaceship. There's robo-advice, there's all these free trading apps, and then we have podcasts like yourself and social media. And I just feel like it's just a perfect storm that has just increased the accessibility of the markets, whereas before it, it was sort of catered to more a higher net worth crowd. It's just the minimums have gone. There's a bit more education. It's talked about more now. And I remember even two years ago, everyone was worried about passive investing taking over. Like, uh, there's not going to be any real investors. And like, just the sea change now. So the amount of individual investors trading now has doubled, I think, in the last year as a percentage of trading volume, which is which is great. Mm, yeah, it's definitely been interesting um, after, I guess, the first few years I was running this podcast, ETFs were the were the main focus. Every That was what everyone was talking mm. about. And then suddenly last year, active investing came, came back into trend in the media and everything and young people were jumping on and going, hey, I want to learn about individual companies and have a go. Yeah, I think we've seen that too. And it's about supporting companies you like as well. And I think that's been a big driver of of, of people wanting to invest, putting their money where their values are as well with, with the likes of ESG, for example. Yeah, absolutely. And I know one way you sort of, you pick your companies is using your where the world is going investment philosophy. And that's sort of the 
one of the ways you look at researching companies. Are you able to explain what that investment philosophy is and how you use it? Where the world is going basically is looking at products or services that we believe are going to be more relevant over time. And so there's four key steps that we look at as a filter to filter you know, all the companies out there into the portfolio. And the first step is we look for a trend. So we're looking for a company that's creating a new habit or solving a problem in a new way. And, and so you can think about, for example, like streaming or buy now, pay later, like creating some sort of new value for the customer. So that's the first one. Uh, the second one is capturing that value. So like a moat, and we've heard Buffett talk about this, about you know when he buys a company, he wants strong walls, you want a moat with piranhas and crocodiles and a drawbridge <laughs> and the more the merrier. And, and so we look for key things like brand, like is, is the name a verb, like whenever something like you say Google, it means to search the net, right? So we look for brands, verbs, uh, switching costs. Microsoft, for example, once you've trained up on Excel, et cetera, it's, it's, it's hard to leave that and go into something else. Uh, Scale is a big one as well. And network effects that we see in social media. And so, yeah, that those two aspects are really key, that creation of value, but also capturing of it. And then the third one is the management team. And, and they're really important on influencing those other two factors. And we want to see them, you know, have a long-term time horizon. We try to look for over five years. And um, yeah, we just want them to be problem solvers and business builders, owner operators. And the last one is a financial return requirement. So we try and find companies where we think we can double our money at least over five years. And so that works out to be 15% per annum. And so there are the four steps that we look at. And the key ones really are those trends and and the moats at the start um, as a filter to get down to our portfolio. So do you you start with, do you just look at the whole of the US market and then start filtering down from there? Yeah, we do. We, We look at well, stocks globally. And it's really interesting. There aren't that many companies that are really creating and capturing value. Like it's, it's quite small. So for example, in, in the financial sector, we won't really look at banks. We'll be looking at fintechs, for example, just because they're creating so much more value for customers rather than capturing it all for themselves. So it's, yeah, the, there are certain trends we look at like electronic payments as well and streaming, for example, rather than cable TV, for example. Mm, absolutely. And are you able to share maybe a recent company that you bought or sold or just explored and how you applied that investment philosophy to it? A recent stock that we bought was Airbnb in the past month. And so I think a lot of people know Airbnb. Mm, probably use the, the platform as well. Yeah. The pre-COVID days, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> the travel days. But yeah, there's, yeah, not recently. Tra- yeah, there's some <laughs> great travel trends though. And it's in alternative accommodation anyway. But Airbnb have just come out and said that around 24% of their sales are are over one month and that's living now. And so there's really been this blurring of living and working now in this hybrid work work environment. And when people are sort of being in more of a hybrid type state, that they're, they're going on longer stays, they're being more flexible and having a quarter of their sales being living, when you add that traveling, it's, it's a really powerful trend, we think. Um, so we think that's interesting. And then, of course, it's a verb. Everyone knows it's a verb, it's a noun. People know Airbnb. And so we think it has a lot of potential as well in the business in a competitive mode. So it has a lot of... They've actually built out their own payments platform, a bit like eBay had PayPal. So to split all the payments, it's actually quite difficult. Like the host gets 3%, the customer gets charged 12%, there's taxes... There's different currencies and there's money going around everywhere. So they've built out 
quite a moat. It's not just a listings business, it's a payments platform on the back end. So it's quite a strong moat. And we think those trends are very powerful. And it's only at low single digits penetration globally, even though we all know about it. The mind share is high, but the actual penetration is quite low. And and charging 3% for hosts, I feel that can increase over time because they add a lot of value there. They could do advertising and a lot more optionality as well. So yeah, Airbnb is one that we believe meets our where the world is going trends. Mm, and I think that's really interesting noticing that change over the last 12 months from its traditional people using it for holidays to actually staying there for long term. That's quite a substantial sort of shift that the business has taken that has really yeah, changed what it looks like as a company. Yes, I'm very envious. I wish I could have that lifestyle <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, yeah, definitely been interesting. Like even just hotels last year were renting out rooms for people to work in just during the day, so you you wouldn't sleep there. And I, I just thought that was like something you would never have thought of pre-COVID, but now it's like, oh, that might actually be useful for certain purposes. Yeah, awesome. So. When you, as a a portfolio manager, and I I think some of us maybe are managing our own assortment of funds and making decisions on how to actually put a portfolio together, what is some of your like high level process in putting together and managing a portfolio that might be applicable to an individual? Well, we have a where the world is going approach, but I, I would say what I hinted at earlier too, just think about it in terms of trends and sectors, not just countries. And so if you invest in Australia, you're 50% banks and resources. And is that really something you want a substantial amount of exposure to given the all these fintech potential disruption and then resources with clean energy? And so I would just, not personal advice, but just step back and think <laughs> yeah. um, when investing, like what am I actually like when I'm investing in the US, it's a third technology or Japan, there's a lot of auto vehicle exposure. Just think about that sector and trend exposure and and think about, how you live your life as well and, and where do you see value and are you investing in a similar way to that because they are linked. The consumer and you know value in the share market is linked. The largest companies in the world, people generally know about because everyone uses them. So yeah, just trying to keep it a bit simple is, is what I'd say. Yeah, and how do you, I guess as a portfolio manager, how do you think about diversification and not having maybe, I mean, a lot of companies fall into that technology basket, but not being overexposed into into one, any specific sector of the market. Yeah, it's an interesting one. That's why we think about it in trends because even within technology, right, that there's it's very different. You've got Apple, which is like a hardware sort of company and, and gaming with the App Store. And then, then you've got Google, which is the underlying driver is advertising. And then you've got a Netflix who is it's streaming. So like they're sort of... They're classified as technology, but the actual value drivers of the business and the behaviors are actually quite different, even though they're all lumped in into an ETF. And, and that creates opportunities. For example, like during the early days of the lockdown, like Netflix was sold down like everything else, but we're all locked down <laughs> doing more streaming. And so like these structures create opportunities for people if you think about them in a different way rather than how they're, they're just structured, the actual drivers of the business. Mm. So breaking down the sort of that technology as a whole and into the different trends and sort of themes underneath it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, because often, I think often sort of those thematic ETFs will just jump, uh, like put all these technology companies together, but it's not necessarily, they're not necessarily the same businesses and in the same areas. Yeah, and so if someone's interested in buying individual shares, maybe they've listened to a few podcasts, done done a bit of research, and um, they're thinking about starting to invest in maybe some companies in Australia, US, overseas, somewhere. 
What's your tips for new investors starting to put together their own portfolio? Uh, for me, it's interesting when you ask a portfolio manager. And so it's for me, it's a job and it, it sort of has to be treated like a, a job or, or an apprenticeship. And so I think a good starting place is something like a podcast like this to money and just having a bit of time just reading and, and thinking about what you want to do and having a plan because it is like a job. Like there is an apprenticeship period, I believe, that should be done. And yeah, just starting off in, in simple like ETFs or follow some fund managers, you know, and then as you gain a bit more knowledge over time, potentially go more into individual shares, for example. But yeah, it's important to get started. I think we all hear about the powers of compounding and just increasing by 1% a day will give you a balance 37 times greater at the end of the year. And and so education and investing, I think, is linked. And if you just do, you listen to a podcast a little bit every day, you'll pick up and, and learn more and more. And so I think, yeah, that learning part starts first and then you learn and invest, hopefully as well. Yeah, I really like that the idea of it being an apprenticeship because you don't sort of like have to learn it all for years before you start. You can sort of start and learn and try at the same time. And it doesn't have to be two separate processes like go to uni for three years before you can actually do something. Yeah, yeah. I think the practical part of it, it like the, it's your, it's like dealing with your emotions. I think that's the hardest part of it. So it's good to start while you're young and while you have a little bit of money so you can go through those ups and downs and go, oh, that's what it feels like. That's the experience. And so you can read about the theory, but you've got to do it in practice. Like when the market falls 20%, like do you feel comfortable buying more of that company? You know, you sort of sometimes you have to live through it to actually know and learn from it. But yeah, I think it's, it's linked practice and theory like an apprenticeship. Yeah. And on the topic of market falls, how was it like working as a fund manager in March last year when the world was going mad? I'm wired a little bit differently. Like I like it when stocks go down. It's like a sale for me, you know, like if it goes down 20%, I'm happy and I'm not happy, but there's opportunities. I know I can make more money for investors based on that. And it's just a different mentality. If you have a long-term view on these companies and if you've selected the right ones, you know, you can reinvest in at lower prices. And and for me, it obviously, it's painful corrections because, you know, it's like buying something and you see it 20% off sale the next week, you know, no one's ever happy about that. Yeah, you get a bit annoyed. But you get annoyed. And so the solution for me is I spend a lot more time looking at new opportunities, uh, seeing if anything's mispriced and corrections for me are really good times to go shopping to buy shares because they're all marked down for no specific reason. Like they're marked down because someone's worried about a recession or interest rates. It's nothing specific to that company. So for me, it's always a better buying opportunity during corrections because I know there's not a specific reason, a specific problem wrong with that company, for example. Mm, And I can imagine from a, a customer point of view, March last year would have been quite challenging for some new investors. Did you have any sort of general trends on how people... Uh, dealt with it in your customer base? Yeah, it's uh, for us, it's it's interesting for me as a portfolio manager because we have a savings investment app. And so we have this engine that where people are contributing over time. And so if you're doing that over time, you actually don't mind some of the volatility because you get to average in at lower prices. But yeah, it's something we all go through. And I think as we build out a longer term track record, like I think we have over three years performance for the fund now, people get a bit more comfortable and but yeah, it's an education process too. Like you really need to have a at least a five-year time horizon because stocks can go anywhere in the short term. And that's why we promote dollar cost averaging, I think. I think it's just such a great way just to average in and, and then you don't just get too whipsawed by the emotions of the market. 
Mm, yeah, absolutely. And automating that dollar cost averaging in does take out that emotional attachment as well, which helps. You don't have to choose what day you're going to invest and how you're going to do it. Yeah, yeah. For me, it makes it just a lot easier because there's always you're never going to get any decision perfect. If it works well, you didn't put in put in enough, or you put in too much, it goes down. At least dollar cost averaging, you know, on average, you're going to get the right decisions over time, which is important. Yeah, awesome. And if there's any um. There might be some budding investment analysts or portfolio managers tuning in. What would your tips be if um, someone's interested in that career path? Yeah, I just think you have to be really curious. And um, I just think we need to keep it simple. And I did talk about the apprenticeship before and going on about that, but we do have a lot of knowledge as consumers. And so I always say, just think about the product. And so great companies tend to have really good products. And you're not going to find great companies by talking about GDP or interest rates or politics. You know, that's not how you're going to find a great product. And some of the best companies just don't have great products, but they've got a great ecosystem or community. You think about Apple or their retail stores or their developers. It's a real ecosystem that you have to compete with. And that's very hard. And another example is Tesla. Like there's just people the community around Tesla who are supporting it, who want them to succeed is very vocal. And, and it just builds such a word of mouth marketing like they just spend nothing on the brand and so for me it's always going back looking at the product looking at the product roadmap and hopefully you have a community because once you have a community anyone can copy product features but when there's a community of support uh, around the company uh, it's just a very powerful thing in terms of word of mouth and defensibility and and people just gravitate towards those sort of businesses Mm, and I think, yeah, just looking at that, those aspects are really important because I think sometimes um, people can get really stuck behind the screen when it comes to investing and looking at the numbers and things and they forget to actually go, do people actually like this company? Are they talking about it on social media? Are they are they sticky customers? And they, people, I think you can forget all about that if you keep just looking at the numbers of a company. Yeah, yeah. Keep it simple. It's It's surprising to me, like the large companies in the world, everyone does know and we do use their products. And so I think it's I mean, not saying you go out and buy it, but it's a good starting point to look at for a lot of these companies. They really do have great products. And as a customer, you do understand why you use one of those products over competitors. And so there is a lot of knowledge out there that you have and you just make sure you concentrate on that rather than all the complicated factors people like to talk about, like you know, quantitative easing or interest rates or, or GDP. It's, it's kind of a distraction to the key point of buying really great businesses with great products that can grow over time. And and hopefully if the business grows over time, the share price will follow as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before we wrap up, was there any last things you wanted to add for my listeners? Uh, yeah, just double down on the whole compounding, just how important <laughs> it is and, and and education and podcasts. Yeah, just grateful to be on How to Money and, and just hopefully we've helped someone out there just get started investing. And there's just so many opportunities now, uh, which is great. Yeah, it's um, there's, it's better than ever. I mean, there's there's so many places people can get started, and there's uh, so many communities online, whether that's Facebook groups or Instagram, just to have that encouragement to talk about money and investing in a sort of a casual way. It doesn't have to be scary anymore. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, Jason, if people want to learn about you and they want to check out Spaceship, where should they go? I would say the app's probably the best one. Um, and yep. there's, there's an email list. Sign up to the email list, the content and marketing team do a great job of just talking about investing, having interviews with ordinary Australians and talking about their financial experiences as well. So I think it's a really good starting spot just to just to learn about information about investing, let alone having being able to invest as well. 
Yeah, and your newsletter is pretty unique in that it actually tells everybody when you make buys or sells in your portfolio, which is pretty cool. Yeah, we're very transparent. And I think it's it's quite strange to me why people aren't transparent about this. And so I think the app is quite useful. You can actually filter all the stocks, see what's what's doing well, what's doing poorly. And I do get a lot of questions from customers, which is great as well. Um, it, sh- it shows they're engaged. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, Jason, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, Kate. Thank you for listening to this episode of the How To Money podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and send any questions our way via www.howtomoney.online. You can also catch us on Twitter and Instagram at howtomoneyaus and we'd love to hear from you. You've been listening to the How To Money podcast.